Life happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. So we have an interesting uh, gathering of people that took place. Uh, they gathered last week at UCT in Cape Town, the World Health Organization Expert Advisory Committee on developing global standards for governance and oversight of human genome editing. They convened last week here in South Africa. I beg your pardon, it wasn't last week. It was uh, about a couple of months ago. They convened here in in South Africa to discuss genome editing. My guests this afternoon are two people, one a scientist who does the science of genome editing and one an ethics professor. So I'm joined by uh, Professor Jantine DeFries, an associate professor in bioethics at UCT. I'm also joined by Professor Michael Pepper, director for the Institute for Cellular and Modular Medicine at the Faculty for Health Sciences at the University of Pretoria. Thank you very much both for joining us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pamela. I'll start with you, Professor Pepper. Let's just define genome editing first. Uh, So genome editing is the the rewriting of the genetic code, um, either by changing the code, removing pieces or adding pieces, um, using a technology that was being borrowed from other organisms, in particular from bacteria, um, and by introducing certain things into cells, one can rewrite the genetic code in a given cell. Is there an agreement, and, and I'll let you come in there, Professor DeFries, is, is there an agreement on the benefits of genome editing? I think I think the, the the answer is yes. There is agreement. I think on the, on what 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 benefits this could bring to the human populations, um, particularly when we talk about health. So when we think about genome editing and diseases that we currently can't do anything about, um, most people would agree that this would be a great thing that that we should probably embrace. The real question is what to do with things that aren't about health. So whether we should use these technologies to enhance our human capabilities. And I think that's where a lot of the ethics debate is. So let's talk about then what led to, I think, uh, I'm not sure whether he was arrested, but the science, Chinese scientists last week who announced uh, in 2018 that he, you know, he, he dabbled in genome editing. What was wrong that he partaked in? So, so there's several things that he did. So he, like, like you say, he was arrested in, in 2018. He's, he's currently apparently in prison, or at least um, from what we know, he's been sentenced um, and is at least under house arrest or something like that. It's, quite, um, it's not quite clear what happened. What he did was he took the science from, from where it is, and, and it's completely experimental um, at the moment, and, and started treating patients. Um, so what he did was he took, he, he spoke to and identified a number of people um, of whom the husband was HIV infected and the, the, the wife wasn't. And he enrolled these people in a clinical trial where he um, edited the, 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 well, the fetuses before they were even fetuses. So right after conception, uh, using IVF, he, I, he edited the zygotes that resulted for the babies to, to, ha- to carry a mutation that protects against, um, in, against HIV infection. And the problem with what he did was not only was, was that illegal, so, so doing ge- germline, we call it germline gene editing, editing the, 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 the germlines of people so that the mutations carry through over generations is illegal in China as it is in South Africa. 
So he didn't only do something that was illegal, but he also did do something that the scientific community felt um, as a whole was premature. So the science wasn't ready to do what he did, and he made promises to these people of cures that he couldn't actually sustain. Professor Pepper, I'm going to bring you in here because, uh, as as Professor DeFries says, the science was not ready. The people are certainly ready. We are ready for any innovation that's going to assist in, in moving forward um, the, the cure of HIV and AIDS. And, and on the surface, it sounds to me like for many people, well, this was a guy helping out a couple that needed to have a child and they didn't want the child to have HIV. Is that that simple or is it more complicated than that? Um, and it's actually not more complicated than that. Um, so, in fact, there are many precedents to suggest that what he did may have been beneficial. Um, There are people who do not have the receptor for HIV, who in fact are resistant to the virus in a particular form. Mm. Um, So what he was trying to do, the father was HIV positive, what he was trying to do was to create babies that don't have this receptor, which would not allow the virus um, to replicate. there were, the problem is that, well, there are several problems. The first is that there are other ways of dealing with the problem of the father being HIV positive. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, for one to go ahead and edit the genome um, because his sperm could have been, could have been um, prepared in a way that there was no HIV. So first of all, that was not necessary. Um, the second thing is by doing genome editing, you are changing the genome and what we're not sure of and is whether he just did the change which he set out to do or whether other parts of the genome were also infected um, as what we call so-called off-target effects. And that could have major consequences on the lives of these children later on down the line and of their offspring if one of the off-target effects was within a gene which is essential for life. So it was a bit reckless um, and it was unnecessary actually Interesting that you say unnecessary because from an ordinary citizen, I'm also thinking, well, actually, I'd like to pick from 10 options if I want to kind of thing. Um, and, and Prof, this is where you come in, Prof. DeFries, this is where you come in to say, well, what actually are the ethics of what it is that we're doing? Well, are countries ready to have an open debate about this kind of thing? We see it often where People sitting at the table are people who are inclined to agree with one another ethically on this kind of thing. But is is it as as simple as that? Melo, so th- thank you for that perspective because I think that's a really important important um, contribution. So, so I think the question is, h- how big do we want this table to be, and mm. whose perspectives matter? Mm. Like you say, often often the discussions involve people who have similar who share similar perspectives. Um, and we're not always ready to entertain completely different perspectives. So I'll give you an example. There is, an, there is a community internationally that calls itself the biohacker community, mm. and the biohackers are ready for genome editing sooner rather than later. They want enhancement and transformation as soon as we can. Um, that community needs to be listened to as much as a conservative major, um, uh, group of people who says, well, actually, we don't think that we should be editing um, the genomes for human enhancement. Just to, just to talk to the point about, to speak to the point about um, how far should we go, I think that's, that's really where the question is. So in this example, when it's for HIV, you know, if, if the science was ready, I think we might agree that this would be something we might want to do. The question is, 
what about intelligence? What about other features of our of our ability? Should we should we manage them? You know, should we should we be able to edit these kinds of features? And who makes the decisions? It's it's an interesting one about the science being ready because I've got a counter argument. The science will never be ready if there's no money to allow for science to happen if there is a pushback. Prof. Pepper. Um, yeah, so I think that's very important. I think, um, you know, Yantina may have alluded to this a little bit uh, previously. Um, there are two types of genome editing. Mm. The one is where you would edit the egg and the sperm, which is what we call germline, and this would be heritable and it would be passed on to generations. And I think the, the uh, global consensus is that there should be a moratorium on this kind of research, at least in humans, because mm. re- there are too many things we don't understand. Uh, so I don't think there would be a lot of funding for that. On the other hand, we, there is uh, what we call somatic germline editing, which would be the body cells, and, and this sort of change would not be passed on from generation to generation. And this, in fact, is happening at the moment, and there is a huge amount of funding available for this. So it's happening for cancer, it's happening for HIV, it's happening for many, many diseases. Um, and there are a large number of clinical trials. I think the last time I looked, there are 200 clinical trials in the world where people are using the genome editing technology. So there is funding for this, and people are going ahead. Where funding becomes a problem is in settings where only a certain part of the population would be able to afford the therapy. And that is one of the major, major um ethical debates, which I think Yantina would back, would back me up on, is this question of access. Mm. In other words, we don't, want to, we don't want to get to a position where these advanced and very useful technologies are only accessible to the rich. We have to, we have to work towards a situation where everybody can access um, these new therapies. I wonder if we are not aligning our efforts maybe to the wrong spaces because there are people and clinics, uh, reproductive clinics and so on, who are already manipulating genes. And I don't know if that's the right term because it's, I don't think it's a clinically right term, but I, I think you understand what I mean, and who are not being monitored. And, and I'm worried that the, the arrest of this Chinese doctor may have been something that could have been better handled. I, I could be completely out of line. But I wonder if he may have been on to something. HIV is a big concern here for us in Africa. And, and, and I wonder if the sentiments are that, could he have been on to something that we could have maybe checked and developed further? So, so Pamela, just to, just okay. to respond to that. So I think it's really important to, to emphasize a point that Michael made earlier, which is about these, these technologies are very costly. Yeah. And so when we think about something like HIV, which affects um, huge numbers of people, South Africa is never going to be able, to, the government is never going to be able to avoid, to, to afford genome editing for millions of people okay. because, because these, these things are very costly. Okay. And I think what is really important there is to, is to put some context to that debate. So we, we've got a number of therapies that are coming on the market, some of them about gene editing, some of them more gene therapies. And they, in the United States, where they have been licensed now, are costing in the order of $2 million per treatment. Mm. So there's a drug on the market at the moment called Zolgensma, 
which markets for $2 million per patient for mm. spinal cerebral, cerebral, uh, muscular atrophy. Mm. That, that, I think, is, is where we really need to be concerned about how, how these things are being costed. What are the interests? Who's investing in developing therapies in this domain? And how do we make sure that, that these innovations are actually affordable and available to people in countries like South Africa? Mm-hmm. Professor Pepper, you want to just add something to that? Yeah, I just have two points to make. So the first is um, I, I agree with Jantina that the, the cost at the moment is prohibitive. However, I am confident that as time goes by, ways will be find, found to reduce the cost significantly and alternative approaches will be developed. So I'm a little bit more optimistic. I think that we will be able to use these technologies in our population, and I'm thinking particularly of HIV. And that brings me to the second point, and that is that there are several forms of gene therapy, one of which is gene editing, which are progressing rapidly um, through research laboratories and now in the clinic for curing HIV. Um, So when you talk about the Chinese scientist having been onto something, Mm -hmm. he certainly was onto something, but he just took the wrong road. Um, There are are many, many people working in this area, and there is hope going forward uh, for it. I think it's still a few years out, um, but but it has it, it does reflect the fact that there is activity going on in the field. Back to the discussion around the ethics of gene editing and and, and Prof. De Vries, I want you to just come in here. You spoke about groups that need to be included in these kind of discussions and in talks. Are we ready? Is the world ready to have different views coming through and sit down and actually discuss this uh, robustly and say, well, you know, maybe we don't have all the answers and maybe we should listen to others? So the WHO panel is trying to do some of that. You were right. Um, the panel met at UCT last week, um, and I'm, I'm a member of the panel. The um, the panel is trying to at least foster some debate with everyone, but I, I would say that there is increasingly a global discussion. So there's some really interesting work by some scholars based in North America who are trying to put together a global observatory um, which, which includes people from all these different communities, um, not the least of which is the disability rights community. So, so people who are affected by illnesses that might, want, that might attract cures, these people need a voice as much as governments and um, bioethicists and scientists. Professor Jantina uh, de Vries, who is an associate professor at the Bioethics at UCT, also Professor Michael Pepper, director for the Institute for Cellular and Molecular Medicine at the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Pretoria. Thank you both for coming on. Really interesting, and we'll continue this discussion further sometime. Thank you.